Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with serial entrepreneur, Marcia Kilgore. The list of brands that Marcia has founded is not short. They include Bliss Spa, Soap and Glory, Soper Duper, Beauty Pie, and Fit Flop. Today, because it's an exciting high growth time for the brand and because we're a fashion podcast, we're going to focus on Fit Flop. Fit Flop is a 16-year-old footwear brand that is rapidly expanding through physical retail. I want to ask Marcia whether the pandemic had a positive effect on the business considering its wellness focus. I also want to explore how her great beauty experience is playing into the success of the footwear brand. Welcome, Marcia. Thanks so much for having me, Jill. That is a lot. That's a huge resume. Super duper fit flop. Did I say flip flop? Maybe once. <laughs> I think I got it right. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. That's pretty common. It's a very tricky one to actually pronounce in a list of others. So you are fully forgiven. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, this resume, let's talk about it. I went on your LinkedIn because I was, I don't know that I know your whole backstory before you even found it, your first brand what were you doing? Like, what is the road that leads somebody to be successful founder, 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 founder? Well, I think, you know, when I was when I was growing up, I found it very difficult. And I think I must have been born this way. Um, I found it very difficult to take direction from other people. It's interesting because I have a son who is very similar. Actually, I have two sons, so it may be a genetic thing. Um, and I was certainly born with that sense of direction. And I found it, you know, when working part-time jobs, even as a teenager, just to make, you know, spending money or get myself through um, high school and have gas money for my car, uh, I always found it difficult to work in places where the standards of the person who was running the place were kind of, from my perspective, mediocre. It would frustrate me to no end. So I was always obsessed with customer service and customer experience and the quality of their experience and always super curious about how we might be able to do things better. And very often, you know, more curious than the the proprietor of whatever establishment it was that I was getting my part-time hours in at. So I think it's, you know, being super curious, being solution-oriented, loving to experiment, um, having solutions for any kind of of hurdles that come along or any kind of roadblocks and and just you know being tough enough to never give in i think it's a sort of a combination of things that makes the the right kind of disciplined um personality that it takes to be an entrepreneur yes well ideas are one thing what does it take like what in your experience what makes for a successful business do you have these ideas all the time where you're like this is missing from the market but when you decide we're going to go for it, like what's the differentiator? Oh, I have hundreds of ideas every year, I would say. I and mean, usually they wow. will come to me either in the shower or walking down the street. Or, you know, if I'm out strolling and maybe listening to a podcast or I'm listening to an audiobook or something like that, I will always have one, two, five ideas. Um, some of them are terrible, right? And some of them are great. And I think the important thing is that you know how to weed them down. Normally, a mediocre or a terrible idea will just kind of go away. Um, whereas a good one will keep bubbling up to the surface. And I usually use a very easy test, which I'd say is kind of cheating. It's always, would I buy that? Right? <laughs> it's yes, that simple. It's also really easy if you, you know, every day you think, well, I'm solving a problem for myself. And that means I must be solving a problem for a lot of other people. And if it really is a problem that you've got or something will make your personal life better, then it's 
easy on those difficult days because being an entrepreneur can be difficult and being in business today can be difficult. It's really easy to keep going if what you're doing you really believe in and you're not just trying to sell something that you don't have an emotional connection to. Well, you're not juggling all these businesses at once. You build it, you grow it. Um, you're selling them from there. What's the typical process? And, and how many, FitFlop is a number one right now. What other brands are you working with? Well, I have, so I started my very first business was called Let's Face It, and it turned into Bliss. Bliss got bigger, and then I sold Bliss to LVMH in 1999, and then and then the rest of it to Starwood Hotels and Resorts in 2004. And then I started working on Soap and Glory, which was a mass market, sort of a mastige. I called it mastige. Oh, or maspirational. Maspirational. Yes. Uh, oh, I like yes. that one. I don't know that I like, one. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's a new one. I made that up right now, but no. <laughs> maspirational <laughs> cosmetics brand. And that was sold more in drugstores and, you know, drugstore retailers and sold that to Alliance um, Boots Walgreens in 2011. And at the same time, I was kind of working on FitFlop because having had a background as a personal trainer and really being into fitness for such a long period of time and then becoming a desk jockey, I realized the difference between being able to be active all day long and do good things for your body that really aligned your body and made you feel great within your own kind of construction and sitting there all day in a chair and actually feeling stiff and tired and what that does. And so I had this idea for a shoe that would really align your body when you walked in it and give you energy and rebound the energy from the ground up. I was very into reflexology from being in the spa business. So there was a lot of things that came to me from my previous experience being a personal trainer, being in the spa business, being in wellness that kind of connected the dots to a new kind of shoe. Um, and I didn't have much time because Soap and Glory had really taken off and was this sort of huge time-consuming business. Plus, I had a one-year-old or two-year-old when I launched Soap and Glory and just didn't, you know, didn't have spare time to go to the gym, but really wanted to do good things for my body. So I thought, what if I create a shoe that helps to do all these great things for your body while you walk in it so I can at least be doing something positive while I'm walking my child to school, for instance. And that was kind of, you know, the connection of the dots that led to looking for somebody who knew how to biomechanically engineer a pair of shoes that would have a real beneficial effect on your whole system while you walked in them. And that was FitWell. I mean, could you believe that this was not yet on the market, like a shoe that was engineered for your, well, I don't know, well-being, yeah, alignment, for your well-being, all the things. Yeah, all of that. I'm you know, no, I couldn't because, <laughs> but yeah. I didn't know, I didn't know how to describe it. And I think the most interesting part of it was when I tried to find someone to help me create this shoe. And so I, at first would, you know, the internet was still relatively in its infancy. So you would do internet searching, right? And try to find, well, footwear designers. And I would meet, I would, I would meet with footwear designer after footwear designer who I'd found online or someone had referred me and I'd make them sign a non-disclosure agreement. And then I'd sit down with them and I'd say, okay, here's my idea. I want to make a shoe that when you walk in it, you know, the, the, and I didn't know exactly what I was talking about at the time because I've since learned all the biomechanical terms for exactly what it does. But, you know, it sends the ground reaction for us up through your knees and your hips so that your back doesn't hurt when you walk for long periods of time. And it allows your feet to spread very evenly on, on the shoes so that the pressure is diffused because that also helps with massaging the organs from the bottoms of your feet. I mean, there are all of these wow. things that, that they, that I wanted the shoe to do. And I would meet with shoe designers and they would look at me like, 
<laughs> what are you talking about? And there was a lot of, I, I don't know how to do that. I just draw shoes. And that's when, after meeting, you know, 40 of these people, I realized, wait a second, nobody's doing this. They just draw shoes. Shoes are just drawn. Like they're drawn. They're, they're a piece of leather with a piece of rubber on the bottom for grip. And then they're layered in and then a piece of leather inside with an upper. But no one's thinking about how does this shoe affect the person who's walking in it, which was kind of shocking to me coming from cosmetics because in cosmetics, you make a shower gel, right? You make a shower gel, you've got to test it on 60 people for two months to make sure there's no allergic reaction. But you can go make a shoe and completely wreck somebody's back and you don't have to test it on anybody and you can put it out there on the shelves, thousands of pairs, no testing necessary. What's wrong with this picture, right? So after a really long period of time, I found a gentleman through my cosmetics experience. He had come to me because he wanted to, he had invented intense pulse light hair removal. Um, he'd invented oh. that technology. No, nice. you were having, yeah, I know, incredible. I mean, he was a brilliant guy. He was a dean of the University of Swansea in Wales. Um, and he came to me because he wanted help formulating cosmetic products that could be used after intense pulse light hair removal because he invented you know, the machine basically that gets rid of your hair, but it is kind of tough on the skin. So some cooling products, some calming, some barrier repair, et cetera. And at the end of our meeting, I said, like, maybe you can help me out. <laughs> I said, yes. I have this idea for a shoe and I wanted to do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I've been meeting with people, but is there anybody at the university that you can think of that maybe I could meet with who can help me invent this shoe? And he said, oh, you should come up and meet with the people in our biomechanics department. And that was the first time that I heard about biomechanics. Biomechanic, I was looking for a biomechanist. I just didn't know the word, right? Now, of course, the biomechanist won't know how to draw the shoe, but they will know what the shoe should do. So then I started looking in, on my internet searches. Instead of for shoe designers, I started looking for biomechanists. And in the UK, there are actually several universities that are really uh, advanced in biomechanic research. And somebody found one after I went to the University of Swansea, where I, that's a story for another day because it's really long and very funny um, and kind of surreal. But it was, you know, the six-hour train ride to get nowhere, but at least meet someone who was thinking about biomechanics. Um, they knew how to measure what shoes did. That was close, but they didn't know how to actually right. make a shoe that would do something good. And then finally, I found uh, a gentleman at the um, university. It was called South Bank University, which literally after, I mean, this must have been six, seven months, right, of train rides and meetings. And finally, I found a guy. Must have been a mile and a half from my house across the oh river in London. I know. And I went to meet with them and I said, okay, here, you know, the non-disclosure agreement, blah, 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 blah. I sat down and said, this is what I want to do. I want a shoe that does X, Y, and Z. And he goes, oh, I know how you can do that. <laughs> oh my gosh. So easy. <laughs> but what? you have to find the right Let's person. Yeah. Totally. So, so he was the he head. Knew he knew how oh, you to, the, the mechanics of it all, he could also design it. Did you? No. Okay. That was, so there I had to, right? So they told me, we have, I, I know how you can do that. Here's what you got to do. You have to make a midsole that has, you know, it's like this slope and it has to be hard at the heel strike and softer in the middle and then medium at the push off. Or maybe it was medium. I should know this. Medium at the heel strike, soft in the middle, hard at the push off, one or the other. So that yes. your foot would, your foot would, 
hit the heel, right? It would have a little bit of cushion, but not too much. And then it would be forced into this middle section where it would spread to massage the bottom of your foot and even out the pressure for the diffusion. But then it would go quickly and slickly onto the toe-off area so that you could push forward and it wouldn't be too much strain on your toes. Okay, sounds great. So I said, great. Okay. Not asking so, much. <laughs> yeah, not asking much. And I said, well, I could do you, can you make a prototype or something? And they said, yes, we had. And this is where it got quite funny. I said, yes, we have, um, we have a shoe design uh, department. So this is a course that kid, you know some of the students are on and they can design this shoe, but we can't do it until after Easter break because they were all in the middle of their, uh, they were all in the middle of their exams, et cetera, et cetera. Me, in the meanwhile, I had a drawing of what I wanted the shoe to look like. And I had a meeting with Bath and Body Works for, yes. yeah, because I just thought, I, you know, I thought I'd have a shoe by then. <laughs> so, but I didn't, I had a picture of it and I had the idea. Anyway, they didn't come back. They came back to me after Easter with this shoe. It wasn't a shoe gel. It was like, it was like a foamy lump of coal with, and I'm not kidding. They told me they had a shoe design department and that I would have a shoe after Easter, right? So I'm waiting, da, 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 da. I'm not looking for anybody else who can do this. I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to have a wearable shoe. It comes back. It is literally like a chunk of black foam with two ropes on the side. Now it was, I know you would like, not. What wear, it, could it, could it work on the runway? I see some things like that. No, I, I did think like, would, would I even wear this inside my own home? The answer was no. And I wouldn't care what it did for me. I don't care if it would like make my legs seven inches longer. I wasn't going to wear it. So then I thought, nobody is going to wear this no matter what benefits it has. I've got to find somebody who can make a real shoe. And to test it, it was so bad. We actually had to gaffer tape the front because this, the, ropes, <laughs> the ropes were kind of falling off, but the midsole was correct, right? Yes. So then I had to think to myself, okay, and this is where just... Getting out, I always tell people who are entrepreneurs, just like get out there, meet people, ask them questions, find out what they do, find out what else they do, where have they been, read everything you can get your hands on, click on every link, go down deeper, find, read stuff you're totally bored by, all of it, because you just never know when some little snippet of information is going to help you. So this was, I guess, 2006, yeah, I think 2006, or maybe 2000, early 2007, Anyway, um, <laughs> I remember having, a me having had a meeting. So I thought to myself, okay, wait, this is really an incredible pair of shoes. And when we had tested, even though it wasn't, it wasn't a shoe yet, it was a midsole, but when we tested it, they test it by attaching electrodes to all your muscles and your spine. Like when they animate things, speaking of animation, um, right, that's how they animate things in movies to look like humans. They put these lights on them to see yes. how the body really moves. And totally. they do that also in biomechanics laboratories so that when the person is moving, they can see the alignment of the person to see if it's correct or if it's better or if it's worse or what have oh, you. Oh, nice. Yes. yes. High tech. Very, very <laughs> high tech. Why am I telling you this story? I can't remember. Anyway. No, because it had to do with Finding the finding someone to actually person. make the shoe, right? So I thought. So we had tested it with those lights and also with some pressure diffusion Fantastic. software. And all. It was amazing. So the technology itself, incredible, right? So then I thought, okay, where am I going to go with this now? I mean, I had sold Bliss to LVMH, but if I take this amazing midsole to you know 
company X or company Y, you know, I don't know, like, could it be then gone? And then I'm just in a big lawsuit for the rest of my life. And you know what I mean? You just think, well, I can't take it to company X or company Y. I'm not going to name any names, but you know what I'm thinking. So I then sat there and I thought, wait a second. I know someone who said that they have a footwear sourcing company. And I thought back to this meeting that I'd had when I first moved to the UK. And it was with a company called Peter Black. They're no longer in existence because Peter Black footwear has been bought. I was dealing with Peter Black Cosmetics and they were a contract manufacturer in somewhere called like Trowbridge. I had gone out to find out what their capabilities were because when I was starting Soap and Glory, I wanted contract manufacturers who could formulate for me. And they made a product for me called Sexy Mother Pucker, which we sold millions of a year. I know. So yeah, great, great, great product. Great one. (laughs) And I remember sitting in the introductory meeting because in Europe, as opposed to in America, so in America, when you go in and you go into a business meeting, you kind of shake hands and then you talk about what you're trying to do, right? Here, we're here for this, blah, 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 do, do, blah, blah, blah. In Europe, you sit down and they take you through a 30-page PowerPoint about their company and the history, right? This is what happened. It's very different. You need to know where they came from with the doom problem. In that 30-page PowerPoint, you know, um, slide PowerPoint presentation, Somewhere in there was, we have a sister company that makes footwear. And I had remembered, like, in the recesses of my brain. Yes, it was worth it. Yes, at the time, I remember thinking, oh, my God, 15 more slides, right? (laughs) And then (laughs) a year later, I thought, oh, my God, I think I can go to them and maybe they can help me make this. So I went to meet with them. They had a footwear designer who went to work with Dr. Dave, who was the guy who actually had the specs for the midsole. They created the very first Fit Flop sandal and we sold like I don't know millions and millions and millions of them and I had a picture of it on a piece of paper by the time I had to go meet Bath and Body Works in the old days of Neil Fisk and Leslie I can't remember her surname but she was a great buyer we met at Claridge's I showed them the picture I told them what it did and I remember them saying we'll order anywhere between 30 and 300,000 of those a year (laughs) I have a drawing of a shoe on a piece of paper right You're good for it. You have this track record. (laughs) You're not going to give them any crap. I I I just thought I have got to figure out how to get this shoe made and get it over to Bath and Body Works, like you know, (laughs) by summer, because otherwise we lose a whole year. And we did. We got it there, and it was like the fastest selling shoe. I mean, it was the only shoe they carried. Number one. I was going to ask why Bath and Body Works. We just did a uh, weekend review podcast about Aldi, which is a grocery store. It's totally different world. Like launching a shoe, and it just seemed so random. But Bath and Body Works. I'll tell you why. Because Neil, who was heading up Bath and Body Works at the time, and then subsequently, I think went I don't know Eddie Bauer or something like that. Previous to that, he had written a book called Trading Up. And it was really a huge hit. And it was all about why people buy certain golf clubs and why people buy certain dolls and why people will pay so much more for a brand versus, you know, some a non-branded item and the associations that come with. And he spoke at one of the Women's Wear Daily conferences. And he was a fantastic speaker. And I remember him saying, the limits to what a category is in the beauty industry are only in your imaginations. And so I started then to think, wait a second, shoes can be beauty products. Shoes are beauty products. If your feet hurt, your face does not look good. If you don't have energy because your shoes are killing you or they don't rebound energy back into your body, you don't look good. (laughs) 
So yes. is a shoe a beauty product? It absolutely 100% is. So I thought, well, he's the one who said that the limits to what a beauty product is are only in our imaginations. I'm going to go to him first and offer him this shoe. Oh my gosh. It's so smart. And this is like ahead of your time in 2007 or whatever, because we're talking about that. I mean, I'm sure the conversation's been ongoing for the last 15 years, but like, what will Sephora not carry? What do, does not feel like, feel like a fit? Everything's wellness. It's just expanding, expanding, expanding. You yeah. were ahead of your time. I like They carried so. it in store, online. Where was it? Catalog, online, in store. I remember also um, in, the U, in the UK, I think my first customer was Sweaty Betty, which has now been bought by Wolverine. And so they're, they're much bigger now as well. And I think the buyer, we'd had an article in, I think, the, the Sunday Times or something like that. And actually, the whole thing about FitFlop ended up above, uh, on the homepage of the Sunday Times, it was FitFlop, blah, blah, blah. And then it said, Putin, why the, why the West should be more worried. And then there was another article underneath it, but the top three trending stories, the first one was my shoe. So we offered Sweaty Betty because they they were the first people to have a real, like a proper internet business, right? And we're really actually selling things online. So we were in Kings Road Sporting Club, which is now Lululemon. And we went to Sweaty Betty for online sales and they sold about 8,000 pairs in one email. I mean, it was just oh a phenomenon, right? Like they were yes. everywhere. It was It was pretty amazing. And these, the the final look, so our audience knows, this is a sneaker. This is, what no, is the look? No, 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 it's a sandal. Yes, a sandal. tell us about what the look. It? it was a flip-flop, right? But it was a, it was a thick, sold, sporty-looking flip-flop. And I did that on purpose because I wanted everybody to be able to afford at least, you know, the basic model with all those benefits. Um, I thought, you know what, if it's affordable, then everyone can have one. And of course, eventually we did much more expensive ones. I love my leather shoes, my, you know, so I love to have beautiful, comfortable shoes, as do many women. Um, but I wanted everybody to be able to afford the entry price model because they were just so good for you compared to normal shoes. Oh my gosh, your sneakers are top of mind because they're so cute. And that makes more sense now why a Bath and Body Works might carry a, a flip-flop. Yes. Hello. Um, yeah. Yes. But tell me, oh my God, first of all, if you, if you were, I hear a lot from like investors about the type of founder that they invest in. And if you had told me that story as an investor about the, I guess, tenaciousness, like the way that you went around the world to get this made, I'd be like, we are investing in her. She will not disappoint. <laughs> She's going to get it done. But anyway, what has been your approach to fundraising on that note? Have you you. Oh, for Fifth Club, actually, yeah, we, so not until very recently did we fundraise. It was all organic. Um, I had, of course, some money that um, from the sale of Bliss that we reinvested um, into starting Fifth Club. I have to say it was a little bit scary because at first, you know, you're dealing with factories in Asia and you kind of have to produce 30,000 pairs of something and you have no idea, right? Is anybody going to buy this? or not. It could be a total bomb and then you're sitting on 30,000 pairs of shoes and that's really not a good thing. Um, but right. we're very lucky that it went the other way. Um, and, and then that money just kind of rolled into more money and it was self-funded pretty much the whole time until a little bit post-COVID. So COVID was a bit of a nightmare only because, <laughs> only at the <sighs> beginning, because all the factories shut down, right? Yes. So in, in for where... Yeah, it was well, 
they shut down and they also had put a bunch of product onto boats. So we had about, I don't know, 30 million, $40 million worth of shoes on boats that were coming across to our various distributors, retailers, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, all of the distributors, retailers, et cetera, say, well, we cancel our orders, right? So you have $40 million worth of shoes on boats. You have factories who want to get paid. You have no revenue coming in. Now, nobody knew that everybody would go home and start shopping on the internet, but they did, thank God. So actually and walking. Came, yes, yes, and walking. So it was actually very good, but it was a pretty hairy time because just trying to, you know, refocus your cash flow, you know, it's not a situation because we've been such an organic company in terms of our growth and how we've approached things. We've never really had to borrow from anybody. Um, and we just kind of let it grow naturally. We've got really great business in Asia. We've got a really great business in EMEA. APAC, EMEA are about, I guess, 70% of the business and then, and, and the UK. And then we've got a growing business in the US. Um, so it's really nicely spread across all the different, you know, areas and all the different area, you know, um, markets. Um, and that helps a lot as well. However, after the COVID, after the China COVID, everybody doesn't take their orders hit. We also had the Vietnam shutdown hit. Oh, yes. Fun <laughs> so stuff. It was fun. It was, yeah, it was very, very interesting. I have luckily some friends who were kind of in finance and helped juggle all of that, all of the cash flow issues that we had during that time. Um, and so just very recently, we in fact, took for the very first time, took some investment um, from Aurelius, who was the lender who helped get us through the COVID period. They were just such incredible guys to work with, really understood where we were. And, and it wasn't really the time in the last year and a half to go out looking for capital from a VC because you would have had a much lower valuation in general, simply because of how the market was. And we didn't want to do that you know, when you're just coming out of COVID and a whole reset, et cetera, et cetera. So, so we've had our very first investment in the business, um, I guess, over the last year. I don't run it day to day, however, so I could have some stats wrong. <laughs> yes. No, that's okay. Did that pandemic moment uh, when you were pivoting, making a lot of changes, canceled orders, what, did that also mark a move to a more direct-to-consumer model? Or you're still as kind of maybe split or how would you describe the split between wholesale and, and direct? Um, at the moment, I'd say we're probably about 40% direct and okay. the rest wholesale. But wholesale nice. is really growing for us at the moment, like big time. Um, and it's really because we were under, I think we were under um, optimized in wholesale. Uh, our sales team was a little bit out, maybe outdated. Uh, and so my new CEO brought in a killer head of commercial, um, who literally, you know, travels the world with a shoe bag on his back still, uh, and is just amazing in terms of the connections he's got. He understands the shoe business. He understands what each retailer needs, wants, is going to be really successful with. And he's been on the road pretty much nonstop since he started. And he's just absolutely incredible for the business. So it's really exciting just to, you know, get great shoes out there and see people respond to them and see the growth come so fast. 
You guys are a scrappy company, even though you're very large. It's inter- I love that he's going around. I also want to ask about not only like selling the, the retailers on your shoes and the benefits of them, but the customer. It seems like a lot of education is involved for people to get it, um, but maybe not. Like, How are you able to strike that balance in between what they want to hear and what they need to hear and, and making it kind of sexy as a sexy purchase? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, some people just try them on because they like the way they look, right? So we we are kind of like any, and we have different technologies now. So we have a Wellington boot technology that's a honeycomb cush technology that's just incredible. That's exclusive. We, you know, we engineered it and it's exclusive to us and we make the most comfortable Wellington boots. So they're really purpose built. Um, nice. We also have a flip-flop, which is a really thin flip-flop, but it has little um, impact cushions under the the ball of the foot and the heels and these little sort of circular impact cushions. And the, But they, from the top, will look like a Hawaiiana or any other kind of typical flip-flop. And then we have our original our original formula, which is a micro wobble board, which is a little bit, you know, thicker and more chunky chic. Um, and we make everything from sporty pairs to things that you wouldn't even know that there was technology in it. So what you find when you start to wear a flip-flop is it's quite difficult to go back. So you wear them and your feet start to feel completely different. Your body never hurts. You can, I, can, I remember at the very beginning when we, we launched them and Disney actually bought a whole bunch of them to sell in there theme parks. And then they asked us, would you do like a Disney flip-flop? And we did a really cute one that had Minnie Mouse ears and they so were you know, smart. selling been like there. hot cakes. Your feet hurt. <laughs> yeah. So people say I've been with my group of 10 friends and their kids at, you know, Disney all day. And we've been on our feet for 12 hours and they all want to go to bed and I'm ready to go out dancing. I cannot tell you how many times I got an email from somebody that said something like that. And it's just having the energy when you when you get good shoes that actually return energy to your body and don't take energy away from you and are aligned with your natural movement and your natural gait, it's such a difference than wearing just a shoe that hasn't been considered in terms of how your body works with it. What a difference maker. Talk to me. Is this, I want to say, is this like Botox where it's like young people are getting it because it's preventative and it's not going to give you knee problems and hip problems? Or are you targeting an older customer who knows better. They're already experiencing the problems. You know what? I think most of our customers will start at like 35 plus because the product's a little more expensive, right? So when you get to a certain age, you will pay for comfortable shoes, right? When you are 25, you don't need them. There's nothing wrong with your feet and nothing aches yet, but you get to be a little bit older and you think, I don't have time to be hurting. So you will you know, put $100 down for a really great pair of comfortable sandals, whereas you're not going to do that. You're going to buy the cheap ones when you're 18. What we find, however, is that the moms buy them and then their daughters steal them. People just want to be comfortable. I mean, right on. They're cute. (laughs) They're amazing. Tell me about the design process. Is there a in-house Oh my God, we have a team. We have a team of designers. So, I mean, we launched quite a few new products every year because you have to, right? In this day and age, you've got to always keep it fresh, keep it new, always have something to talk about. It is unfortunately the scourge of social media and newness, newness, newness. Um, And so we are always looking at new styles, experimenting with what might be popular. You know, you roll over the ones that are really popular. Things have a product life cycle. It's all 
the same as fashion. You try and have your hero products and the core silhouettes and all that kind of stuff. So we're the same as, I suppose, any sort of fashion shoe brand, but we don't try and be a fashion shoe brand. We try and be a good-looking, comfortable engineering brand. So we're really an engineering company who makes shoes. Yes. What makes that customer convert? Is it about having something new and they see it and they're excited? Um, Or yeah, what's working? Oh gosh. Well, fantastic shoes, right? So if you buy a pair, once you buy a pair, really you have a very hard time wearing other shoes. And even I will buy, I've probably, since I started FitFlop, I may have bought I'm not exaggerating, no more than eight other pairs of shoes. They would all be occasion shoes, right? Like I'll buy a chunky heel if I have to wear a dress because we don't necessarily have that. Um, or, you know, the odd thing, but there's just no, there's no going back. And once you know that, once you've tried it and you feel how they feel on your feet and on your whole body, you tell friends, you buy more, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we've had a lot of the kind of, we've taken our technology and put it into a lot of quite trendy silhouettes. Of course, comfortable silhouettes. We're not ever going to do like a spike heel, right? Or a five-inch heel or anything that, you know, isn't going to reflect your natural gait when you walk in it because some things are just impossible. So we'll never do that. Um, But we do try to stay on trend. So it's easy for her to choose whatever it is that we've got instead of choosing something that won't have the same biomechanical benefits. Well, tell me about your U.S. You mentioned U.S. is a growing market. How yes. are you tackling it? Uh, anything unusual that you're finding about the U.S. consumer and, and what's working or what they're interested in? Well, I mean, it's kind of, I have to say, it's quite basic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> Our basic white sneaker is a hit, always. Um, so we have just a, a white lace-up that, you know, let, white lace-ups are everywhere. I always say if you go into the the Airport in Amsterdam, Schiphol, you will see what is going by from all corners of the world, and that's what's hot, and it's white sneakers. So we sell a tremendous number of white sneakers. We sell a lot of um, just the eye cushion flip-flop. We sell a lot of kind of black, chic, New York, chunky, fashionable lady shoes. Yes. So like sort of the the beautiful two-bar slide, elegant lines, no seams, that kind of thing. That's always really big for us in the U.S. We do a lot of shearling. So in the winter, we've got, of course, our technology built into shearling slip-on boots and slippers. And, and you know, why, why change out of it? When you get home, you just change to a different version of it. Um, those are really popular. I'm trying to think what else. I just literally ordered 20 pairs. Oh my from, God. <laughs> from the website Your yesterday because I looked on the new ones. It's pretty amazing. I need a new one. <laughs> and I'm like, like these. Oh, those are great. They're amazing. Oh my, those are so chic. Yes. They're amazing. We're looking I've given at a pair of these to every friend that I've got. Yeah. Double, Double strap face. sandals, chunky. They're great. Chunky, chunky midsole. So yes. Cute. They're and, amazing. There, I, I have a lot of friends who have given a pair of these two for their birthday or whatever. And whenever I go to their house, they're just like default shoes, summer, winter, whatever, um, because they're so comfortable. And that's that's exactly what we want, right? It's, it, they, shoot, they should be fun. Um, Fiflop, you know, it's a fun brand name. It's a fun brand. We want people to have it's energy. It's fun to say. And- yeah, it's fun to say, even though a little bit of a tongue twister. Yes. Do you, um, more stores coming? You have a store in Soho, yes? 
Yes, we have one store in Soho. And so we are, I mean, it just opened before summer. And so we're just experimenting with getting the merchandising right on, getting the display right on for, again, for the American market. Um, we have, in fact, through our distribution channels, hundreds of stores across, um, across the world, a lot in Asia, some in Italy, a lot in the Middle East. Um, so we will just be very careful about how we expand, make sure we get it right. Right. So you, you go small. I always call it like firing bullets before you fire cannonballs. You want to have one. You want to polish it up. You want to make sure it's perfect that you've got all the systems down, that you're doing it right. It is so much easier to sell online. However, people do need to try shoes on. Right. And people's feet are so different. So, you know, a size six is not a size six is not another size six. So it is great to have that retail and for people to be able to come in and try things on and know in which technology, which size are they. Um, and so once we get everything really humming and we know that we've got the merchandising right for where we are, then we'll roll out more stores. Yes. Tell me about growing your teams. Is the typical process you, I don't know, like you find the, the perfect CEO and you're like, they're going to run this baby and I can focus on my next big idea. I did. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> yes, thank ding, God. Ding. So I did. I did. I found the perfect CEO. His name's Johnny Georgiadis. That's another tongue twister. He was at UGG for a long time and then um, at, um, boy, am I having a mental block? He was, <laughs> he was at UGG and then he was at, okay, Lacoste Footwear. Lacoste. Um, nice. Yes. Yeah, and Lacoste was moving their footwear business back to Paris, and he lived in London with his wife um, and his three teenage girls and did not want to move back to Paris. And so we snapped him up because he's got so much relevant experience, great network, um, and he's just a really solid, experienced, smart, considered, thoughtful guy. Um, and he's a really great partner for understanding what the brand is about um, and not trying to change it too much. Um, you know, you don't want to take the magic out of what it is, um, but at the same time, wanting to grow in a methodical way that's still, you know, really good for the business, for the customers, for for the brand. And I think that's the most important thing and also very hard to find sometimes. I mean, this may be an evolution of FitFlop or maybe uh, a new brand altogether, but now that you see that <laughs> fashion wearable anything is basically a sketch and that no really... <laughs> I guess additional thought is going into it in terms of, yeah, what it does for you. If this is a good thing, if this is healthy, what could be better? What could be anyway? Like, are you thinking that way? Is this your next project? <laughs> Any next, other ideas come project. to mind in this realm? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I can't tell you. Yes. <laughs> is it related? <laughs> am I, am I onto something? <laughs> well, it's, it's um, ergonomic correct. Yes. Okay. So it is something that has to do with wellness, which is my wheelhouse. And it is something yes. that, that we use every day that isn't ergonomically correct, that our lives would benefit from being ergonomically correct and um, that everyone will need once you, once you see it, you'll think, oh my God, I have to have that myself. And then everybody will need one. But hey. I can't tell you what it is yet. And then the Glossy will break the story and you'll let us know oh, um, when it comes out. Oh my God. Are you have you been on Shark Tank? <laughs> you need to be the judge. You need to say, this idea is not good. This idea will fly. I feel like you are such an expert. Do they know you? They need to know you. <laughs> I, they don't know me. I'll have Come to call on. them. I'll call them up. 
<laughs> I mean, hello, look alive, Shark Tank. Anyway, no, you're such an expert here. Oh, but you were talking about studying up. And last question, I just, this has been coming up in a lot of conversations. And you mentioned, um, you did mention actually a book, but what are you, what, what are you doing to kind of fuel your inspiration? Are there, are there, are there certain books you're reading, certain podcasts you're listening to? Like what kind of keeps you at Going. your up and up at tip top, tip top, ready to go, always thinking? <sighs> Well, that's a really great question. I am. Um, if you believe in Myers Briggs, do you believe in Myers Briggs? Have you ever done yours? No. Do you know what it is? Oh, I do. Okay, so. I need to do this. Yes. Do it. You have to yes. do it. Yeah. Just. I mean, listen. Some people say, "Ah, that's so stupid. It's not really. It's nothing. It's outdated." Blah blah blah. But it's so true for me. So, and maybe I'm just really, you know, someone who is malleable. But I don't think so. So <laughs> I did it, and it called me a certain type of person. It said in order to continue to be inspired or if you're sort of under it, like what's bad for you is having to do a ton of detail work. And what's really good for you is like thinking about ideas and being inspired, et cetera, et cetera. And I always just find that if I'm stuck or if I just feel a little bit lower energy than usual, all I have to do is go and either listen to an audiobook, and it can be anything, right? Give me Jim Collins like Great by Choice, the ultimate business book about like sort of mid-growth profitable businesses and I'll I'll go for a walk listen to that and come back like oh, I've got yes. 7000 new ideas it doesn't have to be going to a museum or going to the symphony although I would love to do that as well but really reading and podcasts I love I'm just I go to sleep with a podcast in my ears thinking that maybe by osmosis even though I'm asleep somehow I will get the information um, but maybe not, but still, I just love them so much because just any new little piece of information, right, is going to help you connect the dots. And hopefully in the future, if you have some idea and you need to just fill that last piece in so that you can have the full picture, you will have listened to it, read about it, talked about it with somebody, seen it somewhere. So any kind of input for me um, is is inspiring. Oh my gosh. Well, I would I would like to think that I relate to you because anyway, some of the things you're saying when I'm too like in the details, I always say I'm in the weeds and I start to feel in a funk. But anyway, you need to yes, yeah. get out there, expand yeah. the mind, yeah. <laughs> see what's up. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Marcia, this has been oh so enjoyable and inspiring to me. Thank you for being here. This was great. Oh, well, it's such a pleasure. I loved it. And it's always great to talk to you. And you know, if you find yourself needing any great shoes, you know who to call. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to The Glossy Podcast. See you next week.